But see, here's the, here's the problem. You're a sinner. And God has chosen to forgive you, and it costs blood. Like, can you extend that to other people? This is not to say what they're doing is right. I have to forgive my anger against them because I'm the unmerciful servant if I don't. Mm. Look what he's done for me. Jesus makes this story very obvious. Like, one man's forgiven a lot and won't extend that to someone else. That's Brent Hansen with a big challenge for us today. And nobody likes being offended, right? Uh, But in today's culture, you may know at least one person that could enjoy it when you look at social media. But if you're a Christian, holding on to grudges and bitterness doesn't sit well with what Scripture tells us and how we're supposed to behave. There's a much better and healthier way to live, and that's to turn to forgiveness. Happy New Year and welcome to Refocus with Jim Daly, a podcast production from Focus on the Family. Brant Hansen is my guest today. A great way to start the new year as he helps us to uh, maybe turn over a new leaf, lighten up a little bit, and get rid of some of that anger that isn't good for us or good for anybody. You know, so often somebody in the halls here at Focus on the Family say, did you read that social media post about you? And honestly, I could say no, because I don't spend a lot of time in there because it can really gin me up and give me emotions that I particularly don't want and don't need. I think much of today's culture has no idea what to do with uh, the pervasiveness of anger and outbursts, especially in social media. And this lack of understanding of forgiveness uh, really is ruining not only each of our lives, but the culture in general. Colossians 3.8 says to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Think of that. Right there, it sounds like a contradiction because there's voices in the culture saying, gin up your anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. <laughs> I mean, the contradiction right in front of us. Uh, But for some of us as Christians, that may be harder to do. Uh, We all get irritated and offended by others at some point because we're human. Christian radio personality Brant Hansen has some great stories and insights about how you can let go of offenses and anger even when it's hard to do. He wrote a book called Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better. It's been revised and expanded, and uh, if you're interested in getting that, we've put a link in the show notes. With that, let's jump right in with our guest Brant Hansen on Refocus with Jim Daly. Now, unoffendable. Mm-hmm. Let me get to it. Why are we offended so often by people? Even for those of us who claim Christ and we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, well, self-control. Why does that guy that cuts me off on the road get to me so easily? Well, number one, I think we're th- anger's being threatened. But that's anger across the board. There's things that make us feel threatened that should make us feel threatened. So there is a good response, I guess. Well, there's a natural anger that happens. Let's describe them. Let's go with what's a normal, you know, anger response and what is over the top. Give us some idea. If your parents are abusive Mm. or you've gone through some horrible things in your life, somebody's taken the life of a family, like anger, of course, is going to be a response to that. I mean, we're actually wired for fight or flight. We're wired to have all these physiological reactions that happen when we're threatened the problem is, for the Christian, um, the idea of when does forgiveness actually begin? Or are we supposed to stay angry? Because we've been taught, and I think this is to get at your question about why this is such a big issue for Christians, we're, we're not taught out of anger. We're told that, well, it's righteous anger. My anger is righteous. 
so we hold on to it. The problem is, and this is the shocking thing in the book, that when people first hear about it, they're like, that can't be true. I'm saying in the book that there is no biblical righteous anger for humans. God's anger is righteous. Yes, Jesus' anger is righteous. He's holy. But for us, we're not good arbiters of our own anger. We feel threatened when we don't need to. We're supposed to get rid of anger before the sun goes down. Mm. That doesn't mean that it's righteous. If it's so righteous, why are we supposed to get rid of it right now? And there's no good scriptural argument for holding on to anger and having entitlement to it. Well, that's the bottom line. And there are different levels, as you said, the most serious being, uh, you know, abused by another human being in some form or fashion and the need for the protection of anger. Anger hopefully will drive you to a better place by getting distance from that abusive situation. So we realize that. Absolutely. Most of our day-to-day lives, though, deal with lighter touches of this. I'll give you an example, but I want you to fess up here and give us some of your examples. Oh. But one of mine, I was on a flight. I've, I've got a lot of miles, almost 2 million miles on this airline. So I'm in a particular status, you know? So if I ask for a, an aisle seat, I usually get it. Well, somehow I got bumped from the aisle seat I had booked and I'm in a middle seat. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, do I get irritated? Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know. The other thing is travel conveniences when you're disrupted from your normal game plan. Right. I had to like purposefully say, okay, mistakes happen. Let's give it a pass. No big deal. And of course, I called my wife and said, would you believe they put me in a middle seat? You know, right. I am six foot two and used to play football, all that stuff. But at some point you got to say, it's okay, Lord. You know, okay. So this happened to me yesterday <laughs> flying. It's the same thing. Okay. I got the, our, our flight was delayed. All the other flights, it was, it wasn't too foggy to delay them, but it was too foggy for our <laughs> flight. And I'm watching the planes take off and they kept delaying my flight. And I missed my connection and I got crabby with the lady and had to apologize. And then she got a kick out of the fact that someone was apologizing. But it happens all the time. I do think as we get older and more mature, especially as believers, that happens less because we realize this isn't a threat and I can deal with life. But the biggest reason for actual forgiveness and, ex- and surrendering our so-called right to anger is because we are sinners too. Like, Jim, you know this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Like, like, you have let people down as well. Uh, sure. And even if they're wrong, I've done just as bad. This is the status we have as believers. It's not because they deserve forgiveness. It's because I didn't. Like, that's why I'm able to extend this. And I think waking up in the morning, this is why I, where I'm going in my book, like, wake up in the morning and realize this is going to happen. When you get on the interstate and people cut you off, you shouldn't be shocked again. Yeah. I can't believe this. C- can you believe people? Yeah, believe it. These are humans. Believe it. When you travel, sometimes we don't get what we want. It aggravates me too. But I've got to adjust to reality and wake up and think, today I'm going to extend the forgiveness that God has given me toward other people, and I'm not going to be shocked by their behavior. Yeah. I remember um, when I wrote Finding Home, my first book, about uh, you know the story of being an orphan kid, which I had to go through all that as a young boy. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the criticisms I received, and you deal with criticism in Unoffendable, because mm-hmm. criticism comes our way, certainly as public people. Totally. I remember one person, when I first started doing the radio program here, Focus, somebody wrote in and said, Jim Daly's voice is too high. And I went, wow, that's something I just can't help if people are offended by that. I'm sorry, and I'll pray that God would give me a bit lower voice for you. But, uh-huh. I mean, you can't do much about that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, the other, But in this case, um, somebody reviewing the book said, Daly's best advice is to keep your expectations low, which for me, they just missed the whole point. What I was trying to say there is, 
one way to survive a world that is often offending you is to realize that people are people. Yes. Mom and dad are going to let you down. That relatives are going to let you down. That you're going to let yourself down. Now, you could tag that with low expectations. I say it's realistic expectations. Would you agree? Absolutely. And when someone says, I can't believe what my mom just said. Like, think about that. Unpack that. How long has your mom been saying stuff like that? Like, take out the trash? Yeah, 57 years. <laughs> right. Like, well, at some point, go ahead and believe that she said that people do things like people do, and they've done it for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, the first two brothers that were born, one of them killed the other one. Yeah. The idea that we're shocked by human behavior. We, If you're a Christian believer, I mean, we should be the people who are not shocked. We know what our hearts are like. We know what God's been willing to do for us. Like, so to continue for us to be constant righteous anger and just be up in arms about how everybody else is behaving doesn't make sense. We should be the ones who are the least surprised by their behavior. I know. And I guess that realization that we are in a broken world, we're still sinners, but we're saved by grace. Thank right. you, Lord. Right. And we're trying to rectify these instantaneous impulses in us. You have, a, I think, a, a parking lot story or where oh, you almost sure. got in a fight or something. Yeah. I mean, like I've had one day to the next, I'm in a parking lot and I'm pulling out and I was taking too much of the center and I was blaming the person pulling in. And then someone was in the place where I was yesterday and I was blaming him. And all that to say, it's always, we're always the victims. Absolutely. I mean, in our minds, <laughs> and there's actually a proverb that says the first to testify always seems right. Mm. The first to, te- in, in my mind, guess who the first to testify is? And every conflict and every inconvenience and every, it's, it's me. So obviously I think I'm right. I always think my anger is righteous. But yeah, we've had that. I think I cited in the book almost getting in a fist fight about a ping pong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm still laughing about this, but a ping pong thing with my church fellas. Like, <laughs> okay, this is good. I know. Well, Confession I, is good for the soul. It was, I didn't even realize it was a fight. Like, I'm not naturally giving. I don't pick up on cues, like I said, and then I realized this guy's about to punch me in the face. What it did you do? About, did you cheat at ping pong? No, I, I was saying that the rules are the serve goes this way. Like, we were playing doubles. <laughs> <laughs> so you were straightening this guy totally. out. Well, I guess, and um, but... To have to stick it out. I mean, my point in the book was we stuck it out. We're still friends. Like, we know we're broken, but people split up all the time. We split up with our church family. We split up because we're constantly getting offended. This is the way the whole world operates. We should be the ones that don't. Like, we're the ones who don't because we know we're broken. Mm. So we should go, yep, that's us again. And extend forgiveness as God's forgiven it to us, to other people. This is what we should be like. Now, it's one thing to laugh about these funny encounters, and they happen from time to time. But hopefully in your sanctification process, what you're driving at is they're fewer and fewer Yes, in terms of occurrence. They're happening with greater time distance, right? I think that's right. Um, is that the goal? What about the person that wakes up every day, the believer who's saying, you know, I'm offended again. If you're feeling offended quite often, is that something you should look at? Yeah, I think so. If, and here's the weird thing. Once we call it righteous anger, we pat ourselves on the back for being angry instead yeah. of doing the opposite, which is deal with your anger, get rid of it before the sun goes How down. How do we know it's righteous anger? We don't. That's just it. God knows his anger is righteous because he's holy. Okay, but some people hearing that right now are saying, no, no, Brant, I know what righteous anger is. When I get upset at this politician Mm -hmm. or this abortion doctor Mm -hmm. or that gay couple that lives nearby. But see, here's the the problem. You're a sinner, and God has chosen to forgive you, and it costs blood. Like, 
can you extend that to other people? This is not to say what they're doing is right. See, that's where people get thrown is they're going, oh, I guess everything's okay then. You're just being a relativist. Totally not. What I'm saying is that God's been willing to forgive me. I have to forgive my anger against them because I'm the unmerciful servant if I don't. Hmm. Look what he's done for me. Jesus makes this story very obvious, like one man's forgiven a lot and won't extend that to someone else. Now, that said, we should still take action against stuff, but people confuse anger with action in our culture. You probably noticed they think tweeting about something, look how angry I am. Everybody's angry all the time about everything. That's today's culture. Right. But what we're called to do is actually take action to correct injustice, actually to do things. Anger does not help us do that with a clear mind. Mm. It actually inhibits our clear mind. We don't want our police, our military acting out of anger, but we do want them taking action. And so this is what I'm called to do as a believer is to actually do things, sacrifice, do what I can. But patting myself on the back for being angry actually doesn't help anybody. Hmm. Uh, Brant, you had to wrestle with some faith issues when you were a young man. Um, I think there were some anger issues when you were a boy. Describe what was going on and, and how you began to get a handle on your anger, even as a child. Yeah, this is hard to talk about, but it's a good question, and I do reference it. I'm a preacher's kid, and we went through a lot of stuff in the home from my dad that was the exact opposite of what he was preaching. I saw him preach three times a week. Right. How old were you, and how did you translate this all that? the way growing up. And so was it, till you the thought first... it was hypocritical? Or... Oh, totally. I was scared at home. My parents divorced. Mm. When I was in seventh or eighth grade and then remarried each other and then divorced again, squaring that with the reality of faith is very difficult. And it made me extremely skeptical. And I am a very skeptical person. It's just, I'm so skeptical. And I write about this some, but just, I'm so skeptical it's chased me back around to Jesus. That's a good thing. Because, yes, I think it is because you see human nature, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anybody else who does anything about it. Like, he's the only one that acknowledges sin and then does something about it that I can find. And the things he said about how we're not, all, we're not good, none of us, just strikes me as, that's accurate. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he says that, like, he's got the words of life, and I don't know where else to go. The alternatives are not appealing to me. But, yeah, I've had to work through forgiving my dad instead of living in response to that the rest of my life, because I could say, well, it's righteous anger. He was so wrong. Like, yeah, he was wrong, but I don't want to be defined by that the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And God has forgiven me. I've got to let go of that anger in order to be healthy. Yeah. How, how is that translated now that you're a father yourself how, and a Christian in your own home life, not to you know look too closely and personally, no, but if you're willing... Have you felt some days where you're going, oh my goodness, I'm just like my dad. I'm just uh, the I, same as him. I, I, I'll tell you this. And I'm sure there's good and bad in that. Well, being a professional who talks about Jesus now on the radio, so I have this platform like my dad did, and I write, and I get attention for talking about Jesus. I honestly am very attentive. I don't want any word coming out of my mouth to be something I don't mean. Yeah. And I want my kids to be able to listen to my podcast or listen to my show or read my books and go... That's dad. Yeah. And that it's consistent. And they do. <laughs> that and is um, good. Th- they're grown up. They're in their early 20s now. And they still will listen because they miss me, but they at least feel like they're getting some dad. If they listen to the podcast, they live on the different coasts. And um, I'm very thankful for that. I'm like, the fact that they see the public me and the private me, and they're like, that's dad. That, that, 
That's big. Yeah, and I appreciate your heart. I think in the book you mentioned a time when you were prepping for your radio program and you were in, maybe you didn't recognize it at first, but you were going to a subscription. Oh, no, I recognized it. Okay, so when it, you, I, it, <laughs> yeah, rather I can, than me painting the wrong picture, why don't you paint the well, picture? Well, think about this. I'm a Christian radio host. I actually used to know this guy. We used to be friends, and he wasn't a believer that I knew of or anything, but he did a radio prep service, which cost a subscription. It was like $50 a month. And it gives you like the stuff to talk about that day. Mm -hmm. And so I had a password for it. And so I would download it and use it without paying. And this went on at this Christian station I was at for six, eight months. And suddenly he emailed me while I was downloading it and said, hey, what's going on, man? Just checking in. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no, he can see, you know, my IP address or something. And he knows the Christian guy is stealing his stuff. I guess this went on for a year. I owed him like 600 bucks. And so... I could barely function. I'm like, I've been stealing your... I, I, Mr. Christian, whatever, have been stealing from you for about a year. Huh. And I need to send you a check for $600. And he wrote me back and said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Don't worry. So here's the non-Christian guy, seemingly. Like, I know who I am. And we kid ourselves if we think we're not bad. And so... When I recall that sort of stuff, it's very difficult not to extend that forgiveness to other people. Like, if God has let me go for being that kind of person, why can't I extend that to other people? I have to. I don't have a choice. It's the decision to relinquish the right to anger. Because, again, you'll feel things, but it's the idea that I'm not entitled to this anymore because of what God's done for me. And to be sure, we know people have had family members murdered and they let go of that anger because they have to. That's the thing, too. Besides the fact that Jesus commanded us to forgive people, just physiologically, it'll lengthen your life. Because anger comes out in all these different ways that torpedo your other relationships because you think you're holding on to this righteous anger against this person who wronged you. You've got to let that go. Well, and we need to be practical and help people here. How do you do that? It's one of the most difficult things to describe. Because a person who's really full of bitterness and full of anger over something or many things has not practiced that forgiveness. Yes. And their their tank is full of this anger. Yes. So when they come to you and say, Brent, I love where you're at. I love what you're saying. I read your book. I love that. I hope I could get there. What do I do? I think there's only one place to go with this, and that is understanding your own brokenness, your own sinfulness. Because, again, that's the resource to forgive others. Mm-hmm. I've given a TED Talk. I've talked about this issue People enjoy hearing about it, but I do tell people, look, if you're not coming from a Christian worldview, I think this is going to be difficult to accept because the resource that I have for forgiving other people is that Jesus died for my sin because of me. So I have to, in turn, forgive others. If I don't, I'm saying somehow I'm better, and I can't in light of the cross. So, can, I, can I give you an idea? There's two perspectives that I think I see in this regard. Sure. This may be brutally honest, but there's the person who I think Jesus is addressing in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, who actually would see the sacrifice Christ makes for them in this kind of way. I'm pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm worth dying for. I mean, that sounds horrible. And we should all cringe when we hear that because that's not the gospel. Right. The right response is, I am broken. I need salvation. I needed Jesus 
to atone for my sin. Right. But oftentimes as Christians, we project the other. Right. That I'm a pretty good guy. No, and we're not good. Jesus <laughs> oh, no. makes that very clear. We're not. And so I don't even think there's a single thing I've ever done where I haven't had at least some percent of it's been in it for me. Like, right. I don't think I've ever... So acknowledging that, that's the resource for forgiving other people. It's not because they deserve it. If you wait for them to apologize or be truly repentant, A, you don't know when they're truly repentant anyway. You don't see in other people's motivations. You don't even see your own. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 4. You don't even know your own motives. So it's humility that forces you to say, I'm letting this go, not because they're awesome, not because they deserve it or they apologize. I'm letting it go because of what God's done for me. And I think that's the exact right posture. I think it's a, yeah. I think that's what it means to practice forgiveness. What about the person that forgives so easily that it seems like they really don't forgive? In other words, yeah, it's okay. It's uh, water off a duck's back. Well, I think that's where the this right to anger comes into play. Like Because if you say that, but you still are clinging to this anger. Like, How does I, a person know that? What's seething underneath? If you say that so that you look good... But underneath it, you're really still resentful that that person wronged you. Well, I think it's good to ask yourself the question, Am I, have I surrendered that right? Do I actually have a right to be angry with this person? Even just doing that question, to hear yourself say, I actually don't have a right to that anymore. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal. And that can be very helpful. That puts you in the right place. Yeah. You share a story in the book about a car accident. I think that, uh, I, I don't know if it was a friend of yours that was involved in this, but what happened in this car accident? How, why was it an illustration that you used? Okay, she's extremely intelligent, and her, her dad is a very high-ranking professor at a major university, and she's an intellect and, and an agnostic. She drove into a construction zone and hit a guy, and actually it cost him his legs. Uh. And she went and visited the hospital room and he forgave her huh. and he said it's because i believe in god and because i'm a christian i have to let this go and i want you to know i've forgiven you well she's now a believer because of that wow the power of forgiveness yeah because there's nothing else in the world that would give you that resource to do that i think it'd be really compelling in a world of offense if christians were the ones that were not offendable because well, we know we're broken without a doubt I mean, that that should be the way, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be incredibly compelling to people? Like, yeah, there's right and wrong, but we're broken too. Yeah. But uh, Brent, in that regard, when you look at Luke 6, where the golden rule is, and uh, you read what the precursor of the golden rule, the two paragraphs before it, it's quite a tall task for us as human beings in our own strength. I'm nodding like I know the paragraphs you're talking about, but I have no idea. Well, here's what it says, basically. If somebody wants something from you, give it to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone hits you in the cheek, give them the other cheek to hit, too. If you loan money, don't expect it back. Don't add interest to it. If you do these things, then you're honoring your Father in heaven. And if you do them to those who are wicked, you're honoring your Father. Wow. I mean, that's a paraphrase of that whole section. And it says, do unto others as you would like done unto you. So it's not just that one sentence that's the golden rule. Right, it's, you're right. Here are the attributes of the golden rule, and it's gritty. Well, think about it. Yes, it's hard. This is a ticket to freedom. Anger will enslave you, ought enslaves you, thinking you're entitled to this or that. But Jesus knows how we're made. He's our creator. And he's saying this is the best way to live. You'll flourish if you do this. (laughs) So obviously, I want to be extended grace. So the golden rule, all of that includes 
extending that to other people in the way that I would like to be treated. Sure. Why do we not believe that, though? I mean, everything you just said is true. Well, we're taught that we have this righteous anger thing. And I don't know how it started, but it's not in the Bible. I can't find it. I keep waiting for theologians to come along and just crush my little book. But they haven't because they can't. I mean, there's all these scriptures about how anger resides in the lap of fools. It's all negative about human anger. In James 1.20, it actually says, and people never memorize this verse because it doesn't work for our theology. But the verse actually says, there's nothing about man's anger that brings about the righteousness of God. Hmm. And we still think, well, my anger is righteous. Like, that's not in the Bible. God's anger is righteous. God's vengeance is righteous. He's entitled to certain things because he's holy that we're not entitled to. That is powerful. So powerful. Uh, Let's work through a few more examples. For the Christian, uh, what's the alternative to reacting angrily and acting offended? How do we? I mean, role play with me. Oh, man. You're sitting on a plane and you're not getting the service you think you deserve. I think you could act without anger, and it'll be better than if you had anger. Dallas Willard said that, too. He's like, there's nothing you would do with anger that makes it better. Hmm. I think in practice, before you go to the airport, it's a great idea to go, God, just help me to be unoffendable, Hmm. um, to not practice being offended, Hmm. to not take pride in being offended. But you can still say things like, this is not acceptable. You know, I paid this amount, and I'd like to see what you're going to do about it, given the fact that I'm a platinum, double-crusted, jewel, <laughs> presidential level. I deserve level. better treatment. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's horrible right there as a Christian. Right, I know. We should never but go there. you could there. still say, like, this didn't come with my package. You, you know, know, you could still say you're in my parking spot. You just, oh, I know. You just, but you don't do it out of anger. And again, this is the way we want people to stand up for what's right, but not do it out of anger. You're more clear-minded that way. Too. And I'm telling you, it's not so often we're going to be in a position where it's life-threatening or, you know, a loved one was mowed right. down and we have to find that courage. That's a beautiful story. And those are wonderful testimonies that lead to so many good outcomes. But it's the everyday thing for most of us. Yes. And and it's a good thing to wear your faith on your sleeve. Just be prepared to live it. Absolutely. Because people are going to look at it and say, you're a Christian? Why don't you act like a Christian? And this is when it actually matters. When someone has crossed you, that's when you actually find out who you are. There's the old proverb I'm fond of, like an African proverb. like, if you want to know what kind of tree it is, bump into it. And whatever fruit falls then, now I find out. That's very true. Bump into the tree and we'll find out. Like, it's really weird too. I've been married 28 years now. And to continually be put off by who my wife is and for her to be put off by me, we know all this stuff now. And to be able to practice this with with each other and drop things is so fresh and so wonderful. Like, quit trying to reform everybody and police the world. In your own home, it's really hard. Because you're living with humans. It's never going to end. You're always going to be chafing against... And again, it's not to allow all behavior. Like, well, now my kids can do whatever they want. That's not it at all. But the idea that I'm going to be continually offended that my wife, you know, doesn't give me a heads up on directions when we're driving. Mm. Like, like, how long is that going to go on before I'm like, yeah, we're broken and we can have a sense of humor about it? I think even allowing that we should we should drop things is a huge step, and then reminding ourselves before we go into it. I do think workplace is a gr- is actually not easy for people, and, and people are constantly offended at work. And oh, it's yeah. a great idea to to go. These are the people I'm with. Um, God put me with them, and my boss is going to do stuff that my boss does. 
Now, how do I love love him or her anyway? But when you get down to it, you think, why, God, why have you designed it like this? Why do you pull opposites Mm -hmm. together so often? I know not everybody is that way, but you pull introvert and extrovert together and night owl and morning person, dark chocolate, milk chocolate. Uh And then you put them together and say, okay, make it work. And then you irritate each other. And I think really it's simple. Mm -hmm. It really is simple to become more like Christ, which is what? Giving, sacrificial. Um, not as selfish. Totally. <laughs> and, and you think of that system, and then with what you're doing here with unoffendable, it's similar in how you deal with people. Why does the Lord allow people to irritate? Well, so that you could become more like him and look beyond that irritation mm-hmm. to what God has created. And this is love. Yes. Like when you don't feel it, and you still extend grace to the person behind the counter or the person at work, Like apparently God is really pleased by that. Apparently, it's obedience. I mean, this is what love looks like when you're not feeling it in a marriage, for instance. And your wife, like when I was writing the book, my wife brings me tea. And I know she's not feeling in love with me and she's had a long day or whatever. I may have just aggravated her and she still does it. That's, that is love. Like, so this is a chance. It does shape us to make us more like Christ, but it's also, this is God's love language, I think, is when we do things for people that aren't doing anything for us. Well, with that, let's open it up to questions, and just give me your first name and state your question. My name is Sarah. Um, Brant, I listen to your show, and I've read your book, and um, the biggest thing I got out of it is humility, and that it's not about me. And I think that's what's really helped me to start focusing on my marriage and my children, and that it's not the anger that I'm feeling is not about me. Hmm. So that was a huge lesson for me. So thank you. Thank you. I love that. And I do think what happens is when you practice this, you are practicing proper humility. Like when you start the day going, people are going to do this. I'm going to forgive them anyway because of what God's done. So it's instant worship. It's like Hmm. knowing who God is, who I am at the very beginning of the day. And the other thing that struck me I remember reading N.T. Wright talking about the early church, and he said that Jesus envisioned small groups of people practicing his way of forgiveness. I'm like, I'd never heard the church described that way, but that's Jesus envisioned them practicing his way of forgiveness. Like, that's really, Mm. that's central. This is it. This is discipleship. Yeah. If I teach people to do this, I'm teaching that. Yeah. May I ask you a follow-up question? Sure. Um, as a mom and a wife, I mean, we're talking to many moms and wives in the listenership that are where you were at. Talk about that change that you had, that control issue, perhaps, I'm guessing, yeah. but that idea that if you could manage the environment better, things would be better. How has it gone after reading the book and knowing more what to do with people who offend you in subtle ways and in big ways? I know that um, I realize now that it was very selfish. The um, emotions are real. So it's not that my emotions were the problem. It was um, just how I focused on them. And I saw it as probably righteous anger. And um, when I realized that it was coming from a selfish place, my love grew for uh, my family. And... When you said, Brant, 
that you want your kids to see you in the same light, you know, no matter where you are, on the radio, in person. That is all I want. And that's my biggest prayer is that that would be me, you know. That's wonderful. That's heartfelt. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Candy. Um, Many years ago, I read, uh, I started to read the book, The Bait of Satan by John Brevere. And I couldn't even get past the first chapter because it started with offense. And um, I felt entitled to, um, to feel the way I felt, and I wasn't going to give that up. So I put the book down. And so um, now being introduced to Brent and the, um, the book and the radio, now I, I understand that I'm not the only one that feels this way, that has ever felt this way, and that um, I can get past it. And, and I can lay all of that down in order to be the, the person in Christ that I should be. Well, it's wonderful. You're speaking for millions of people right now. You're not alone in that. This is the humanity that we live with. Right. Uh, when you have that right to indignation, speak to that. Yeah, it's the surrendering of the right to it. Again, we're going we're gonna to have flashes of anger. And Paul acknowledges that in Ephesians, which is the most quoted thing on this. And you've probably heard this scripture. It's like, in your anger, do not sin. And I've heard great pastors and preachers going, see, that means anger is good. Like, that's not what it means. It means when you get angry, don't sin. And then they ignore the rest of the verse. That's only half the verse we've memorized there. The rest of the verse is, and be sure to get rid of your anger before the sun goes down. Right. So, In other words, it's dangerous. It is. Five verses later, get rid of all anger. Like, same paragraph. Mm. And we've somehow made that theologically into, no, it's good to hold on to it. But I think it's, it's the letting go of the right to it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it happens. I get offended um, less as time goes on, but I still do. And things happen that are going to anger me. Uh, my wife was attacked by a guy on the street oh. last year. And we had to wrestle through this. This is after I wrote the book. So it's like, okay, now what you got? And the police didn't arrest him. I had to wrestle with that after writing the book. The police did not arrest the guy, and he kept walking past our front window. We live on the sidewalk, practically, like we're in a townhouse, an old townhouse. I saw him every day walking past. My wife would see him. I, kept, I went to the mayor, the police, like, why haven't you arrested this guy? He assaulted her on the street, threw her on the ground, put her in a headlock, all this stuff. Like, um, but I had to pray about it. And I went, and finally I was relentless and got him arrested. Um, but it took a long time, but I never gave up. It was like, I still was taking action, but it was like, we were praying for him to the point that our, we felt for him. Mm. And we actually asked for leniency in the sentencing. We wanted mental health evaluations. We wanted, and, but we got that way because we realized we are sinners. Um, that's a long story no, short. It's a good story. Well, and I, I hope, I hope people realize too, I'm not against putting someone in jail or anything like that. It was just, it's just amazing how your heart changes when you surrender that right. And I didn't give up on getting him arrested. Brant, why do we hold on to that anger? Do you know the reason? I think we're self-righteous machines. Hmm. All of us, non-believers and believers. And I think it's funny, too, because people people associate self-righteousness with Christianity or religion. Maybe we've given them way too many opportunities to make that connection. But it's everybody. All you have to do is go on Twitter I think we're more self-righteous now than we've ever been as a people. It's the human condition. It is human, but the more we think that our anger is righteous, 
the more, oh, good, see, look at me. I'm taking a stand against everything online. I'm such a good person. But I think that's it. There's some level at which it makes us feel righteous because we're angry. Well, when you look at it in a political context, I mean, these are deep waters to wade into. But my goodness, the country's so polarized. Yes. How how do we accomplish any common good for everybody? With tremendous self-righteousness on both sides. Right. But it's, believe me, it's both sides. I mean, it's like... Oh, you can see that. Right. And it's, again, I've got my opinions and I've got my convictions and the ways I vote. For instance, I tell people, like, I am very pro-life, for instance. However, it's not going to be motivated out of anger. Hmm. Like, what I want to happen, I'm, I work with vulnerable children around the world who have disabilities and I want to protect their lives as well. Like, but it's not out of anger. It's because God has called me to be a, a provider and a protector. I can't constantly be feeding my my desire to say I'm better than everybody. Yeah, I can't. Mm-hmm. So that I think is really at root why we have this anger culture, and it's an incredibly angry culture we have right now. What does anger cost us? Our lives, physiologically. There's things that kick in. There are you know biological responses to anger. Robert Sapolsky is a uh, professor of neuroendocrinology at Stanford. He calls himself a, mil- a militant atheist. Okay. I think it's so interesting. At the end of his course, he comes to the conclusion that anger is so detrimental to all the different physiological reactions from hormone levels to insulin levels to the way our stomach processes food. Like He said it'd be best if we would just drop it. It'd be best if we didn't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will take care of itself. It's kind of writing a proverb. Yeah, I'm kind of like, hey, you know what? This sounds familiar, man. I think I've heard that before. Like Jesus knows us and he's giving us a way of forgiveness where we actually flourish. And if we reject that way, we're going to suffer. And again, not just physiologically, but our relationships suffer. We go through, it torpedoes other relationships because we've got anger that we haven't let go of. Mm. Because we're constantly living in reaction to that thing that happened to us yesterday or 20 or 40 years ago, and we've got to let it go. Mm. Hi, guys. Hi, Brandt. Hey. My name is Gwen, and um, I'm new to uh, listening to you, Brandt, um, and I just want to thank you for um, being a voice for everything that you are, for the misfits, mm. and um, I just thank God for you. And a couple of things that you said. Um, one of them about um, anger and how we have no righteous anger. That uh, really resonated uh, with me. And I'm going to the airport on Friday, so... Be careful. I, uh, <laughs> I'm really going to uh, um, remember that. And also you made a comment about um, something about no matter what you do, there's a little bit of selfishness in, in us no matter what we do. Can you um, just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I may just be speaking for myself, but I I do no. think like okay, good. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Like uh, I do think there's a trace. I can pat myself on the back for things that look impressive on a religious resume, <laughs> but I think you can do the right things for the wrong reasons, and I think most of us are a mix of motives. To be honest with you, so. And I think that's why Paul, when he's writing and he's like, okay, you guys want to do the resume game with the Pharisees? Like, okay, look at this. I did this. I did that. I did this other thing. I win. It's all garbage, (laughs) but I win. (laughs) And um, I really do think 
even now, like there's, there's a part of me that really wants to bless people. There's another part of me that hopes, I hope they sell some books. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, I don't think I do anything pure, Um, but I think that's, but you know what? Thank the Lord. I think I can, it's okay. Like, and I have to quit even thinking about it and just, just do my thing. Try to be a blessing to people. Yeah, and not weigh everything. That's the beauty of grace. Is it's such a re- it's such a rest. Like I can finally relax. I don't have to. I don't have to be weighing all this stuff out because there's no scales at the end of the life. Mm-hmm. Like they believe in another f- fundamental world religion. In the end, there will be scales, and an angel will hold the scale. Like, no, there won't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Hey, Brent, before we go, I, I do want to put a, a scripture to you because I think you're capturing maybe two. Colossians 3.8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then in Matthew 6, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You've touched on both in a wonderful way. Um, thanks for doing that for us. My pleasure. I'm learning too, but I think this is a better way to live. I think <laughs> yeah. Jesus knew that. What a good time I had with Brant Hansen, along with the studio audience in that Q&A. If we give up selfishness and anger, it's true. We can rest easier in God's grace and his peace. Corey Timboom, a Holocaust survivor, said, don't wrestle, just nestle. And that is really good advice. We can nestle under God's wing when we live in forgiveness and peace. You can do it. And if you're struggling with anger, if you're seething all the time and unable to get along with others, let us help you. More specifically, let the Lord help you. We've got caring Christian counselors, and you can call to set up a free appointment by phone. Check the link in the program notes. And then I think you're going to enjoy Brant's book, Unoffendable. It takes a lot of energy to be angry, and it divides us and divides you from so many people. This book will help you to let go of that anger, put it in its proper context, so you can show God's love to others, which is what he prefers we do. If you enjoy Refocus, support us. Uh, Your gifts will help us to bring you more of the content you love. With every episode of the podcast, I want to emphasize sharing God's love with people, especially with those who may get under your skin. So thanks for getting behind our efforts here. Uh, With a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Brant's book as our way of saying thank you. Now, every episode, I share a voicemail from a listener. These are your questions for the inbox segment about engaging the culture for Christ. I hope you'll leave a question by clicking on the tab in the show notes. Here's a voicemail from Tyler. Hey, Jim, um, I'd like some help telling some friends on why they should want to be Christians. There's um, a lot of messages going around in the culture talking about how it won't make them happy or accepted. Um, Could you help me with some ideas on how I could share with them? Tyler, uh, man, I've thought a lot about this. And one of the things that I say to people who will say to me, you know, I've thought about Christianity, but I had this bad interaction with this Christian or that person, or Christians never paid me back the money they borrowed from me, whatever that excuse might be. I'll look at them just deadpan and say, you know what? That's really foolish that you're going to allow somebody's bad behavior to keep you away from eternal life. And I think the challenge that is a reasonable one, and this is what happened to me in college. I was there studying all the business books and getting into my classes, and it hit me like if I don't read the Bible, which could hold the answer 
to eternal life. Uh, what a disservice to myself. So I just say that is the challenge, you know. Don't accept my word for it. Don't let me pressure you into it. Just read the New Testament. Read the book of John. Tell me what you think. Uh, inform yourself. And again, I know in this culture, that's a big task to actually be informed before you talk about something. But I would say gently just move them along toward don't listen to other people. Don't let other people's behavior distract you. Read the New Testament, and if you can, the Old Testament, obviously, but just get started in reading the Word. And I think my experience has been the Holy Spirit will crack the Word open to the seeker and actually begin to minister to them. Uh, Tyler, thanks for that great question. Again, if you have a question for me, please send me a voicemail by clicking on the link in the episode notes. I look forward to hearing from you. And thank you for listening to Refocus with Jim Daly. And uh, would you do me one more favor? If you enjoy the program, please tell a friend about it or send them a link. Also, like, listen, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as Sanctity of Human Life Week and Martin Luther King Jr. Day are coming up soon, next time on Refocus, my guest will be Ryan Bomberger, a creative, sharp thinker and influencer who speaks up for the value of every human life. And as Christians, we have to remember, we have to distinguish between <laughs> loving every human being and loving every human doing. They're not the same. Hmm. And when we love every human being, we're going to be courageous enough to actually speak those truths. That's coming up Monday, January 15th on Refocus with Jim Daly. God wants true disciples. Ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.